0: Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Tim O'Malley with Pete Sampson at Jack Freeman Studios, and Tim Priester is covering the Irish in Brooklyn. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, obviously, we had our opening opening look at Notre Dame's spring practice yesterday, but we also have a little bit of Irish Illustrated news from Pete Sampson.
1: Yeah, we are uh, going to start a actual radio show uh, on an actual radio station next week. Uh, WSBT... They've uh, asked us to do sort of an Irish Illustrated Hour. That's going to be the name of the show. So it'll we'll be rotating probably a two-man booth like our podcast today, Tim and Tim, Tim and Pete, etc. cetera, um, for the month of March and April. That show will be on Monday. Uh, you can listen to it online. It will be streamed. You can get their app and have it downloaded. Uh, and I think we should be able to take live callers for that show. I will uh, make sure that gets on the board and Twitter. So if you want to call in, you can uh, ask questions, we'll have guests, hopefully some you know, Notre Dame football guests as well. So should be a cool, uh, cool opportunity for Irish Illustrated to get out and uh, reach a new audience and hopefully uh, bring some of our old audience with us. Because we've heard you, you want more podcasts, you want more Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, and Tim Priester's voice in your earbuds. Uh, so this will uh, give your you an opportunity.
0: On your long drive home, right, exactly. or on, on a jog
1: exactly so yeah this show will be uh seven o'clock on Mondays uh, and we'll rotate a little bit into Wednesdays into April but for the first few weeks it'll be a Monday night show uh, but you can stream it download it uh, hopefully you'll call in with questions too so on that note into spring practice uh we were able to see the first 20 30 minutes of Dame's first spring ball you know we talked a little bit those on incident analysis on Wednesday but no real big surprises, I thought, but I think some some notable impressions, too. For me, it was the fact that the cornerback position is probably as strong as it's ever been under Brian Kelly. I mean, that's uh, your top four guys without Sean Crawford right. all look legitimately good. I mean... Tim, what, uh, what was sort of maybe your biggest surprise? Yeah, it
0: was, I thought a little bit, Brian Kelly kind of cleared it up later on. Um, I think it's interesting how they are moving the wide receivers around, uh, the tight ends of wide receivers around, and he even offered, hey, it's going to look a little different. We could have Chase Claypool in the slot, as you saw today, and I was, you know, we, we talked about that and how that might be a way to go just to get your best players, and maybe in some cases your biggest athletes on the field. Uh, Alizé Jones could be a guy that moves over to that slot position, and I was not surprised to see Alizé Jones with the third team tight ends because obviously there's a little bit of penance from uh, hurting the team last year uh, with off the field or with academic choices. But I was surprised to see Kevin Stepperson there. Um, I'm not sure I 100% buy the explanation, although it does make sense on the surface that he's not going to learn extra positions, so they will rep at his spot. But if you're the best X, you probably don't lose a lot of reps to start the
1: spring. Yeah, I don't want to get too carried away on the first spring practice. But if we're out there after spring break and the
0: next availability and
1: Kevin Stefferson's running with a third team, then I'm not go- I'm not gonna subscribe to the we're cross-training other players and can't give our our one deep threat reps.
0: Who's a sophomore not with not a, a senior. new quarterback. Yeah.
1: Um that that would be that would be tough to buy. And uh, certainly there's been some speculation about Kevin Stefferson we don't really know what the situation is, but he's certainly practicing with the team and has been going through winter workouts and is, is with the program. But um, that that was something that we'll watch Moon forward. I think guys that uh, the old who jumped out and surprised you story as if they were hiding behind a hedge. Uh, Dalen Hayes looks great. I mean, he looked like a million bucks when he showed up. Uh, he's been earning interest on that over the last year. In tremendous physical shape, Brock Wright, somebody who really impressed you, um, he looks like, you know, your college sophomore, even though he's a high schooler, um, those would be two guys off the top of my head, and then, I mean, Nick Watkins as well, kind of forget how long and lanky he is, because we haven't seen him in more than a year, but, um, He's a guy that you look at and be like, yeah, that that's what a starting cornerback should look like, yeah. um, just the way he's put together, the way he's built.
0: They've got some players on the corner. The Brock Wright story is actually kind of funny. I, I for some reason, did not put to memory that he's number 89, even though normally with early enrollees, that's the one thing you look up on the roster. And I just saw this number 89 running by people in drills and beating Tranquil. I was like, man, that walk-on is good. Not really a walk-on. He's the yeah. best tight end player in the country, but you yeah. know, it's good. I have faith in my scouting ability now. Yes. I had no idea who that guy was. It was burning people. So Brock Wright did stand out to me. I thought, you know, we speculated uh, as early as January that Alex Bars might shift inside to uh, more of a natural right guard position. It's uh, only one practice doesn't mean he's mm-hmm. doing it. But he was there. Tommy Kramer was at right tackle. And I would assume that if we go to odd or even number practices, you will see Liam Eichenberg as a first string right tackle, too. I don't think... It's never indicative of who's going to start the first day of spring that Tommy Kramer's a right tackle and Ian Berg is his backup. That's not probably how it works. Yeah,
1: and I think last year I was trying to remember how they opened spring ball uh 2016. And I'm pretty sure Hunter Biven was starting. Uh, he was. He yeah, ran, he ran he was, with the first team yeah. at the beginning of spring ball. And you know, certainly that got shuffled around as the season went on, or spring, even as spring went on or... James Onawalu starting at safety, or maybe it was John Turner, I think, started at safety, or or linebacker.
0: We had written off Onowalu a couple years ago as a guy switching positions at safety. He looked bad at safety, but he ended up starting every game thereafter a linebacker for three years. So it's first spring is fun, but it's not really indicative of what you're going to see, even in August camp, necessarily. Yeah,
1: I mean, certainly, I think the the story of the last couple days, um, in terms of what we've been watching, listening to, asking players about, uh, and also, there's a great story on SI.com, if you had not read it, by Pete Thamel about Brian Kelly's uh, off season and sort of the tumultuous turnovers that happened, um, is this new Brian Kelly, and we can argue about whether he's 1.2 or 2.0, I would say 3.0, because I really think this is the third version of Brian Kelly that we've seen, and it's certainly the most dramatic upgrade on paper uh, in terms of showing up to winter workouts, um, and I thought it was interesting Mike McGlinchey... And Grim Martini sort of both said this. They were like, McGlinchey's quote was basically, if I don't know who you are and you don't know who I am, why am I, like, it's hard for me to play hard and play for you if if I don't know you. And McGlinchey even said like, yeah, he needs to show his face around here. Um, so it's certainly a different Brian Kelly. And you know, the SI story talked about him you know, doing yoga and trying to get in better shape and all that stuff. And that's all part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just the, the, the presence of it sort of falls in line with a, you know sort of a leadership truism where, like, they don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And I, I think that the players think and believe that Brian Kelly cares more now. I,
0: I find it strange because I think he went through that before. With Zach, with Zach Martin talked about how, yeah, yeah and it's, this is good news for Notre Dame fans, in 2012, after the season, we asked Zach what was the major difference. He said, Coach was always here. He's eating dinner with us. We got to know him better. You'd think that would be something you want to follow.
1: Tony Alford told me exactly the same thing after that season about, like, Brian Kelly asked him, "What's what do you think the biggest difference with this team was? And, and Kelly was like, oh, you know, we had, well, we had Manti Teo and Tyler <laughs> Eifert. Of course, that, that was the reason. And Alford was like, no, it's because you were around and the players knew you and connected with you more. Um, and I think, you know, you, you can get away with that. Or, or get away from that at Notre Dame because you are stretched thin and there's a lot going on. But, um, you know, maybe this is, I think, sort of where you get back to, and we said it on last week's podcast or earlier this week, 4-8 and has some positive after effects too, and I think that's one of
0: them. I, uh, You know, you can't win in spring, but last year they lost in the offseason. Yeah. And it seems positive now. There was a funny... Uh, when Jack asked for podcast questions, there was one a nice sarcastic one I appreciated on there with "What does the trophy look like for uh, winning the off season?" <laughs> is it? <laughs> and that's you know they're, they're, they don't give them, but you can lose in the off season. So by that measure, you can also prepare yourself to win in the off yeah. because they certainly prepare themselves unwittingly to lose last year because mm-hmm. they cannot stop apologizing about their strength and conditioning program for the past, which I find troubling because. <laughs> From the outside, well, I guess some people said it to us. That people were hammering home on the message board that they <laughs> that they didn't seem strong enough. And now I yeah. feel like I have to listen to these things. But uh, you know, we we said there's going to be a problem because they retain their defensive coordinator going to last year. We didn't say there's going to be a problem because Paul Longo was or the the strength and conditioning program is a problem. Clearly, it was, and they seem to know it. And hey, maybe it's one year too late for some people, but. All indications are that that is not going to be an issue this year.
1: Yeah, I thought, it, I mean, it's interesting how much uh, Brian Kelly has volunteered the fact that the changes he made were player-driven. Um, you know, that the strength and conditioning, he said, like, we weren't giving the players what they needed or what they wanted in strength and conditioning. Uh, that's a pretty, because, like, think about the confidence or <coughs> certainty or just how bad something would have to be for you to speak up to a head coach that you don't really know that well and say, I think that Paul Longo, who's really I know is one of your best friends, is not the answer of strength and conditioning. That that's really remarkable to me that he got such seemingly unanimous feedback about this and the change has been really I mean, Mike Magucci said it's a hundred and eighty degree change. You 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 literally cannot have more of a change than that. From where they were uh, a year ago, and, and the players talking about how they craved something harder, something new, something more challenging. Don't you
0: find uh, all this troubling? It's strange. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not. I guess it just, doesn't matter because it's in the past. But yeah, I'm saying that
1: I'm not into like the relitigating <laughs> of it. Um, you know, I know that that's a message board <laughs> and, and Twitter move. Um, and I, but I, I get why it's weird, yeah. and I understand why somebody would look at it and be like, "Well, wait a minute, what was going on last year?" But Certainly, I think what's going on this year is much more interesting. But the fact that it's such a stark contrast right. is—you um, you can't talk about next year without the context of last year, and I think that that's fair. And you can do that without belaboring
0: what happened last year or the year before that. We'll have some time to talk about uh, next year, probably in the next few months as well. But yeah. I did want to get to one uh, pertinent question I saw on the board: How did Wimbush look? He's going to look good in this controlled setting. Brandon Wimbush has a great arm. He's fast. He's big. He's his third year. He's not a true rookie. He's going to look really good to us all spring. He'll probably look really good in the blue-goal game, and I bet he looks really good in August, but that's... And I'm not saying in any way that he's going to fail once August is over, but it's a controlled setting, and he's a good quarterback. Everett Golson... I'm not making a comparison to the players. Everett Golson looked great every time I watched him throw a football in practice. Yeah, You're never like, man, he really needs to work on his ball-handling skills, and he kind of quit dropping the ball when he's running around back there. It, it didn't present that way, so... Look, Wimbush is going to look good because he's good. And then what it comes down to, of course, is game situations. And as I said, we'll have time to talk about that. But he he will always look good when we're reporting things. It's not going to be like, man, Wimbush missed seven of his first eight passes while we were watching today. That's just not the type of quarterback he is as a junior.
1: Yeah, there's no no question about that. And it's like it's funny to think back to the NFL combine and analysts saying, well, the strong Kaiser is the strongest arm of this quarterback class. And I'm like, he was probably third on last year's team in sort of arm strength. Um, you know, Wimbush clearly was number one. That's, I would be our opinion from what we've yep. seen. It is the opinion of everyone inside the Goog that I've ever talked to about Brandon Wimbush. So you don't need to take just the media's word for that. Um, and yeah, it's like just in 30 minutes of practice, like, Oh Yeah. He's got a real gun, Um, and we never really saw that last year because we were just in a few practices in August, and then we went away and we never saw him again. But um, he's a strong
0: guy. I mean, that's he's a solid two twenty five. There's no question. Well built, no
1: question. And what little we saw in one on ones, I mean, the ball was it was noticeably not only with more velocity than anything Ian Book can put out there, but it was noticeably more accurate too. Uh, And I thought that the passes that he was
0: delivering. Again, thirty minutes March eighth. Um, let's not get too carried away. And but these guys should get open. We should always when we're writing these practice reports, it's set up for guys to yeah. get open. You're one on one on a whole field. Exactly. It's kinda <laughs> hard. To cover the guy. Yeah. But
1: the ball's there. It's he's letting receivers make plays on it. Um, I just I liked pretty much everything I saw from him in day one. And that's kind of what things are that's what the season comes down to. It comes down to a handful of other things too, but mostly it comes down to Brandon Wimbush and can he run the offense and are we going to see him when the lights come on in September against Temple and prime time against Georgia is going to look as good as he did in March inside the Loft Center probably not but you know I, I certainly he's played in some games here and has had had a a high school career where he played for championships and you know played at MetLife and all that stuff but um there, there's no reason to think it won't. Right. I guess that's probably the yeah. best way to put it right now. Um, and I guess just sort of getting out of segment one, your biggest concern coming out of of Wednesday, and was it really anything new than your biggest concern going into Wednesday? No, I
0: don't think so. I think the defensive line is going to be perceived at the end of spring, as it is now, and at the beginning of August, and hopefully not the end of August, but as, as the biggest question mark for the team, the defensive interior, I have been a Proponent of the solidness of one Daniel Cage, they need him back in shape. Uh, he does not win the Body by Bayless Award as of now, and they need him to be solid. They need Jerry Tiller to be more than that, and they need some guys to step up. It just—I was covering the offense yesterday, and I heard every word Mike Elston said. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it. Mike Elston was exas- exasperated with what was going on out there, and I, I don't blame him um, because when your corners are that good,
1: they're, they're not going to look as good. Yeah. if your
0: defensive line isn't there. So that would be my concern, uh, but there's plenty of plenty of training. And obviously, they can become solid. It's not like they're relegated to to being a poor line, but uh, they don't really seem to have a difference maker now unless that guy becomes Dalen Hayes, which we do not really get. Yeah, I mean, we did get looking look at him at that point. You're
1: waiting for uh, Darnell Ewell to yeah. enroll, and you're looking at Scott Pagano a little bit differently now because there's no question if they got him, he would be starting, um, and he would never come off the field. <laughs> The way they lined up yesterday was, you know, was Tillery was the nose, as Brian Kelly described it, and then Jonathan Bonner was the three technique, with the starting ends being Trombetti and Hayes. That's that's a pretty light line, um, especially if we're going to be more of like a four-two-five a type defense. So it's. They they've got a lot of work to do there, and I, I'm not sure that they have the material to do it um, until Darnell Ewell gets here, and maybe if they get Scott Pagano, because it's 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 a line that's light on has a lot of bodies, uh, but it's light on guys who you can
0: count on in in a live game situation. And in fairness to Cage, I did didn't he have off season surgery? As well, a hernia, don't know. hernia issue, I believe, I, but I never got that confirmed. So I want, I, I, don't want to, uh, I don't think I want to put it all on K just being out of shape. The way I said that, no, I think he like, actually could not train fully. So, well, he had the con, well, it's like he yeah, had he the definitely- concussions, so he misses the last,
1: I think, four yes. games of the season. Yeah. Then they're off for eight weeks uh, because they're not in a bowl game. Uh, you know, it's multiple concussions we've seen, like Corey Robinson, for example, last year picked up a concussion the first week of spring practice with was not over feeling the after effects of it until basically the end of April yeah. or into May. Um so Daniel Cage got he kinda got a bad hand in terms of these concussions and it's he but he needs a really good off season, a healthy summer. He needs to, you know, certainly get some good luck in terms of the concussions and, and being able to make it through a full off season. But yeah, he's got He's got a ways to go if they don't, if they don't have him available at all, or if, or if he's available at a third team capacity, which is where he ran yesterday. A um, defensive line is, is going to have some real trouble. So that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We're going to come back, talk a little hoops. Notre Dame plays Virginia tonight in the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament. We got a bunch of questions on top of that. Uh, so some hoop talk, some more football talk. Next, Irish Illustrated Insider segment two. Segment 2, Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. We're talking hoops. Notre Dame plays Virginia quarterfinals ACC tournament tonight. In terms of a bracket draw, Notre Dame got a good one. In terms of a single game draw, probably the worst one they could have had. Yeah,
0: uh, it's well documented that Bray's major struggles. He's never beaten Tony Bennett um, five times, Virginia, once with uh, Washington State. Remarkable stat for longtime Notre Dame basketball fans. To try and guess, before I spoil it, how many times the program has beaten Virginia, one. Considering it's one of the most famous games in the history of the program, beating Ralph Sampson when they were 28 now at the Rosemont Horizon, one time. Hasn't happened since I was eight. Uh, Virginia is favored by three. They kind of got their mojo back late. Um, They held North Carolina under 50, although I think North Carolina just kind of put their jerseys on and thought they are going to win the game. They then held Pitt to 42 at the end of the regular season, and they handled Pitt yesterday. Probably more troubling is that they seem to have uh, found a shooting stroke as well. Eleven of twenty-two from downtown. Which, if Virginia is shooting the ball well against Notre Dame, it'll be a pretty big problem.
1: I mean, look, Virginia has held Notre Dame to season-low scoring. I think for the last five years. Um, I mean, pretty much since they've been in, or maybe that's just the Tony Bennett. But since they've been in the ACC, Virginia is the team that just takes, just dominates Notre Dame in terms of the the clash of styles. Um their defense has more impact on the game than Notre Dame's offense. And I don't know why that would change tonight. Um, especially Virginia playing well. Not that Notre Dame's not right, playing right. well. I mean they they look good at Louisville in a loss and they've I think found something that was not happening uh when they played Virginia the first time when they were still trying to go big uh and with no success. So I mean, I'll, I'll be quite curious to see what happens tonight, but it's it really one of the few games where like, Notre Dame does not have the advantage of the point guard position, which is, like, that's a real rarity uh, on Notre Dame's schedule, and I think that's been part of the reason that Matt Farrell's had such success. He's it, been the better guy out there most yeah, nights.
0: it's tough. Every matchup's tough all around against Virginia, because if if you play Gebbin, it, it, who was playing well the last two games, it's not going to make it's really not going to work against Virginia. No. It's just they're, they're going to out-rebound. You're you not going to get second-chance points. You can't even give them the ball in the post because Virginia is the best team in the world at double-teaming the post, and that's a turnover. They yeah. held Zach August to absolutely nothing last year, and then think of his offensive skill level compared to Gibbon. But if you go too small, you don't get any rebounds, and you have to hit all your shots, which we should point out, oddly, Notre Dame had a lot of open shots against Virginia in the first half and missed them they would have to knock them down this time. Now, Virginia just clamped down in the second half against Notre Dame earlier this year. But, look, Tim Priester and I both going into the last game thought, if not now, when? And we picked Notre Dame to win. It didn't happen then. It, it's hard to imagine happening now, but, boy, if they do, i like them to go to Saturday night. Yeah, I'd I feel the
1: same yeah. way. I mean, it was kind of, you are watching the Pitt game last time, thing like, well, if, you a, if Pitt can knock off Virginia, I think Notre Dame's got a great chance to make to the... Uh, the championship game on Saturday, now it's, you know, you got a less than 50% chance to get out of Thursday night. Um, You know, you would think at some point Notre Dame would get Tony Bennett and (laughs) Mike Gray would get Tony Bennett. I just don't know if now is the time that I would pick that to happen. Now, I think you were justified in saying that time was actually going to be in January, and then Notre Dame kind of got hammered at home. Um, And I agree with you. Notre Dame had some open shots in that game and missed them. Now, if they had hit, all those open shots, then they only would have lost by five or six. Um it, it was not a situation where I think what Virginia did in the second half to Notre Dame wasn't going to happen right. anyway. Um you just Virginia's really good. Notre Dame's really good. Uh but in this is sort of uh is a game of matchups and Virginia has the edge. So it's 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 kinda hard not to like the cavaliers based on
0: all of history. <laughs> <laughs> going that going. Back, you think the Trapuca era is something we can start with? Yeah. You know, from there, I was shocked. I can't. I don't know how I didn't know that fact. That I was researching for the preview this year. Like, Wait, one? Just, just, just one time. time. I mean, yeah. it doesn't really happen for Notre Dame basketball kids. I mean, that, that's something else. But. Anyway, thanks for uh depressing us there yeah. and moving on to <laughs> short lived ACC tournament stay. But no, look, they have a chance. Obviously, we don't know names a good team. They could beat oh, them. Yeah. they can get them at some point. It's just you put it perfectly. Great draw on the side of the of the bracket. Really, really bad draw for the first game.
1: All right. First question, MS Olner. I know that we shouldn't read into day one depth charts, but I'm not buying Andrew Trembedy's legit starting strong side defensive end. We've seen him get swallowed up by blockers for 3 years. What do you make of
0: this? I agree with MS Ulner because I think part of it is trying to get some depth of that position. It would be Isaac Rochelle's position. And I think that they might like what they have in the Hayes and Aquara tandem going in um, for what they're calling rush end. And look, I think Trombetti's best value is when he was rushing the passer in third down situations. And I bet you that ends up being what he brings to the team again. When you're taking the strong side defensive end off the field because it's third and nine, I don't mm-hmm. look. It's a position where you can you can certainly get him to there and compete because it's against Bonner and Khalid Kareem, right? So that that yeah. gives him his best chance to be a starting Notre Dame football player as opposed to the other side.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, you look at what Rochelle was versus what Trombetti was, and it's like I don't I don't get this. Um, I think Brian Kelly was asked uh, yesterday about, okay, well, in this new defense, and I. Okay, well, in this new defense, you don't, like, take out an NFL draft pick and, and put in a guy that's sort of bounced between positions, has struggled to keep on weight. It just, that's not how that works. Um, there's not a new defense where that's that's an upgrade. So, can Andrew Trumbetti improve on where he was the last three years? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be a difficult position for him to play. He's not somebody that's, I think, going to give you a whole lot of pass rush, but, yeah, um, can he hold the point of attack is really... That's the question. Like Start with right. that. If he can do that, then okay. You can, Then you can build
0: on something. But I don't think we're really sure if we know he can do that. Right. I, I wouldn't think from what we've seen in the past he can, but as Priester has pointed out multiple times, doesn't really necessarily matter what the base defense is because it's going to be so multiple. Now you still have to win on first down against yeah. the run. But uh, there's going to be... We're not saying Trevetti doesn't have a role is what I'm putting out there. It's, it just might not be this anchor on the strong side of the defensive line that was talked about yesterday. Yeah, no question.
1: Dip 98. If you were betting man, what would you bet on Kevin Stefferson and Alize Jones or Alize Mack being eligible on the roster for the Temple game? Both, neither, one or the other. <laughs>
0: have you seen their yeah, – uh, we have no real insight into their academics. No, I was going to say, this is reminds uh, me of the who's going to transfer question. Yeah, one. no, it's a, a real delight. <laughs> yes. um, but,
1: look, for Alize Jones, I asked Brian Kelly directly because I wanted a direct answer. Do you expect him to be eligible in the fall? And he said yes. So I will take him at his word on that. Yeah, um, I expect you, him to. The way he's would, worked,
0: I would think he worked in the classroom too.
1: You would hope so. Yeah. Um. You know, if that happens, and there's really no reason why he can't get his GPA to the two point level to be eligible, and and then play. I mean, that's like he just for himself. Like, forget your teammates. Yeah. For himself, he's got it. Chance to make a lot of money going pro in sports. But he needs to be eligible in college first. And um, you would think that would be a great motivating factor.
0: I would bet a small amount of money they'll both play. How's that? Because okay. I think if that is Stefferson's issue, we haven't even confirmed. We can't confirm that. It's not something we're going to be able to legally confirm. But if that is Stefferson's issue, he's also has plenty of time. Yeah, there's no Together, question. He has all the summer and he has the spring. And obviously they're going to have him focusing on academics in the spring. Mm-hmm. Because he has time off during reps. Yeah, no question. (laughs) Statman72,
1: Pete Thamble's SI.com story and Kelly included quotes from Jack Swarbrick and selected players, including a walk-on. Do you have any idea how Swarbrick decides on which reporters to talk to, or how they decided which players to include?
0: Um, Sports Illustrated has a pretty nice reach. I mean, it's kind of like ESPN's going to get an exclusive. In Brian Kelly's office every August when they're doing a camp tour. It makes sense. I mean, it disseminates to a giant audience Mm -hmm. in this particular situation. All three of us, Tim, Priester, you and myself have had one-on-one interviews with Jack Schwalberg. We're just not all going to get them for Irish Illustrated like three months in a row because he's going to be spread out among (laughs) different outlets. So I think he's very fair with his uh, interview requests. Um, You're not going to get them often in season. At Fortuna, when he was with ESPN, did last year, and mm-hmm. time he might not happen again this year if they're losing because that one comment didn't go over well. But I think no, they're they're pretty accommodating about that. Um, and then with Brian Kelly for exclusives, it's, it's got to be in the summer, which. Is understandable too. I mean you're gonna yeah. there's too many people covering to give an exclusive in the fall, or August camp, anything like that. On the local beat, at least yeah, on the I way, mean yeah.
1: look, it's Sports Illustrated is Sports Illustrated.
0: I don't think anybody on the local beat
1: is gonna begrudge Notre Dame or Sports Illustrated for setting up that story. It yeah. makes sense for them to do so. But I agree with you. I think Jack Swarberg is really accommodating if you ask to talk to him. He's there have been a couple of times where he's declined, but it's been more like he of the moment after a game type of situation yeah, yeah. where he's just like, I, I don't want to say anything right now. And I look, I get that we have to ask and he's certainly in bounds to say no. But in the off season, if you want to talk big picture with him, um, whether it be facilities, schedule, I mean, he loves to talk about basketball. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's more than happy to do it. Um you no, know, I think he's real comfortable doing it.
0: Catch him talking about basketball next week instead of after tonight's game. Yeah. That'd be all yeah. set. <laughs> Terry Tate X, any chance we see Morgan Coney and Bilal on the field together this year? I think they're uh, the insinuation there is that Greer Martini would hold down the starting job over Coney.
1: Yeah, I don't... I, I think no. Um, I don't think... I mean, unless there's an injury, I don't think that's going to be the lineup. I Now... Well, they rotate them I in. Mean, yeah, I think yeah. Bilal is your rover. Um... Could he go into Buck sometimes? Probably. But I think Rear Martini is going to to win that job. And the, the new defensive staff will like him as much as the old defensive staff. And they won't, they won't take him off the field. Morgan, clearly, is your mic. Right. Um, there was a discussion on our message board, I think, last night that I replied to. It's like, there's going to be a lot of talk about Coney and uh, Bilal and where they fit. And, I mean, honestly, I think next year, Coney's your starting mic and Bilal's probably your starting buck. Because... Morgan and Martini are gone, and that's okay because recruited
0: Rovers at this point. Yeah, now.
1: those guys, Bilal and Coney still have three years of eligibility remaining, so that's just fine. If if they're not starting this year, that's okay. Um, but I think Bilal will play a ton. Coney maybe less, um, but I think he's probably your your replacement for Niles Morgan next year in this new defense more than your replacement for Grim Martini.
0: And because it's related, and Brian Kelly did talk about it yesterday. Drew Tranquil, Rover, Drew Tranquil, safety, um, position, or not position specific, opponent specific. It seems like, at least in the early stages, you know we had penciled in Tranquil's skill set uh, at Rover, but it's a good point that September's got some run-heavy power offenses to go against in Georgia and Michigan State. And look, I like Drew Tranquil close to the line of scrimmage too, but I also like a linebacker like Asmar Bilal close to the line of scrimmage. So it'll be an interesting... Uh, See to see how they use that because it's it's weird. Trumbetti then is he being spread too thin? Could somebody beat him out at safety, or is I guess maybe with a strong, tranquil? strong safe, strong safety box safety, you would just have tranquil. Be what did I say, Trumbetti? Yeah, yeah, he will, he will not. <laughs> go away Wow. Yeah, I I could see. I guess in this defensive box safety, but boy, they have some good young safeties too. I had moved him so quickly, Tranquil yeah. to Rover that I hadn't really thought about. You him know, in it's United interesting. States.
1: There was one thing that it didn't strike me as I was watching practice, um, but I was thinking about it last night, and the, th- the fact that we go out there and the starting safeties are Tranquil and Nick Coleman. And I looked at that as like that maybe that says a lot about Nick Coleman, and maybe it doesn't. But I wonder if it says more about. Jalen Elliott and Devin Stutzel where they want them on the field together and they're just like you guys are a unit so when Tranquil moves up those are your starting safeties and they just want that a rapport to develop between those two guys at the back because they know they're the long-term answer at that position they're certainly great athletes they're young Stutzel's played a, a bunch last year Elliott no but I wonder if they sort of look at mm-hmm. those guys in tandem as like we need to develop chemistry between those two. So whether they're on the first team together or the second team together, they're just always going to be together in practice. You're saying, yeah. yeah that, so that's an interesting when they wrap the rover and it's tranquil, then I my hunch would be like, well, Nick Coleman wouldn't be in the first team there. It would be Elliot and Stutzel together because I want to keep those guys together. It's. That would be a, a question for BK maybe after spring break. I'm, I'm curious to see how they go about that. Is Because you'd think that chemistry, we always talk about chemistry between quarterbacks and receivers. Like, don't you need chemistry between your safeties? Um, Probably more. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I think we've seen when they don't have it, it doesn't look that good. So um, I, I'm curious if that's something that the staff tries to mine a little bit. ND Fan 101. What are the candidates for Deshaun Kaiser's vacated captain spots? How many captains does a football football team really need? Uh, and Brian Kelly did reference, they had seven captains at the Echoes last year, Kaiser left, and then he referenced a seventh, maybe there will be a seventh
0: captain again at some point moving forward. I don't think you need seven, but if I had to pick one, I was thinking about this, just the way he carries himself and with the theory your best players should be your captains, especially if they're... Fit that mold. I like Josh Adams oh, to be yeah. a guy that could be the, pulled up to be a captain. He's Look, I I had so much respect for Josh Adams last year when I saw him barely be able to get off the field after that USC game. Mm-hmm. He gave everything he had. He actually ran better in November than he did in September, definitely better than he did in October. Um, it was funny. He said he, he didn't felt he finished well last year. It wasn't strong enough. What? I, I kind of told him, by the way, you finished great last year. Was, it was the beginning. He did mention that he was hampered. Um, we saw the injury the first day at Culver. Yeah. He said that bothered him actually through for a long time, yeah. you know, the hamstring injury. So, no, I think Adams would be the guy if you need another captain that jumps up in there. Yeah, yeah.
1: and look. How many captains does a team need? I don't know. But Mike Bray has like a third of the roster as captains. That seems to work out okay for him. But uh, Josh Adams, I think, is the obvious pick. It's got to be somebody on offense. um, And it can't be another (laughs) offensive (laughs) linebacker. There's nobody at tight end that I think has the personality for it. Um, Equimania St. Brown is is pretty reserved. Josh Adams has played the most. He's been the most productive. uh, And I, I think he's, you know, the most conscientious among that group, too. So he would be my guy. Um,
0: He's exceptionally well-spoken, which is, you know, may, shouldn't, maybe shouldn't matter for captaincy inside a locker room, you, but it probably does with the – I mean, it does. Part of
1: being a captain is yeah. communicating, yeah. and I think Josh Adams does a good job communicating. Uh, I Yeah, the hamstring injury last year, I mean, that was that was something I thought a lot about when I was writing about Matt Bayless uh, in the offseason because Matt Bayless told players at Mississippi State, if you pull your hamstring – that's your fault. That means you're not working hard enough. Um, so I'll be curious to see how Josh Adams develops physically over the next four or five months, and how he did over the last couple months. Because he's a pretty impressive guy mm-hmm. physically as is. Um, but maybe it's just a question of moving things around so he can stay on the field a little bit more. But um, that's um, he's got uh, he's got some captain potential for this year and and maybe the year beyond that too. So. That's it for our Shilson Insider today. We're going to be back on Monday, February, or March 13th to talk NCAA brackets, how the ACC tournament went, if Notre Dame survived Thursday night or not. Um, You may be listening to this podcast tomorrow morning and be like, I already know
0: what happened. Um,
1: (laughs) But uh, Notre Dame will have its destination for the NCAA tournament. At that point, Tim Priester will rejoin our podcast uh, as well after he returns from Brooklyn. So until then, Monday, March 13th, I just keep saying February. I had Trombetti at safety, so it's okay. All right, thanks. (laughs) Until then, he's Tim O'Malley, and I'm Pete Sampson, and you've been listening to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. The writers from irishillustrated.com are now on WSBT Radio. Join Tim Priester, Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, and WSBT Radio's Sean Styers for the Irish Illustrated Hour. Get the latest insight on what's happening with the Notre Dame football team, along with other Irish athletic programs, plus interviews with Notre Dame newsmakers. The Irish Illustrated Hour can be heard in March,
0: Mondays at 7 p.m. on Michigan's Sports Leader 961 FM WSBT.